0: We're in the middle of a series called I Want to Believe But, and we are talking about how there are a lot of people who I think would like to believe in God, uh, but they don't. And often uh, these people have a natural tendency to you know, think that there's some higher power, uh, but they don't feel that all life is just accidental happenstance, but there's a barrier. There's some roadblock, some reason that keeps them feeling like they can really just kind of go all in and actually believe in God, and sometimes more specifically, just believe in what Christianity teaches and the God that we uh, hold to. Uh, and whether maybe it's some promise they think God failed to keep, maybe it's something in the world that they don't like, uh, and they blame God for it. And so what ends up happening is they reject God over these broken promises and the way these ways of the world that they don't like. But what if it's not God who's wrong. What if it's their picture of God that's wrong? You see, I think so many people are operating in our culture with a a twisted, a distorted, and an accurate view of God. The view of God they have in their minds is not a picture of the real, actual God that exists over, as the creator of all things, but they have a picture of God of, of little, cute Bible sayings, or churchy sayings, or spiritual sayings from friends, something their mom said one time when they were going through a a rough season, or they got all these little, just something they read on a coffee cup or saw on a Facebook post that sounded nice, made their heart feel warm, and so they've kind of scooped all these little bits and pieces together to form their picture of God. But what if that's not an accurate picture of God? And so I think there's a lot of people in our culture operating with a distorted view of God. And um, I think that that view might be a little different for everybody. You know, I think um, for some people, they think God should answer all prayers, and, but God didn't answer their prayer, and so they they think God betrayed them. Or maybe they, they think God is wrong because there's bad things that happen in the world. They think God should just immediately get rid of all pain, and so they, they get mad at this idea that we teach of God because he isn't getting rid of all evil in the world. He's powerful, all-powerful, and all-loving, but he didn't seem to love people enough to stop them from hurting. And so when people get these wrong views of God, they very quickly pick up that their view of God doesn't really line up with the reality that they're experiencing. And so rather than thinking that maybe I'm looking at things wrong, they just think it's God that's wrong, it's our idea of God that's wrong, and they end up rejecting him. Only they're not rejecting, again, the real God. They're rejecting this inaccurate view of God. And so this series is about kind of coming at a couple of those inaccurate views of God, very common inaccurate views of God, and trying to help people see the true reality of who God is. Because if God exists, if God is real, if there is a real being who created all things, who existed from the start of the, before the start of the universe, before anybody of, uh, any of us ever took a breath, that means we don't get to decide what he's like. That means we can't, we can't just read a nice little thing that we saw on Facebook and say, that, may, that warms my heart. That's what I'm going to incorporate in. I'm going to say God's like that. We don't get to decide who he is. We get to discover who he is. We get to learn his personality, learn what he says is right and wrong. We don't get to decide what he thinks is right and wrong. We don't get to tell him who he should be. And so since we don't get to decide who God is, since we only get to discover who God is, that's what we want to do. We want to hopefully take these views of God that aren't accurate and say, okay, if this isn't right, then who is God? What is God like? How can we know Him? And how can the real true God help us understand the world that we're living in? And help us put aside some of the hang-ups and hold-ups and roadblocks that a lot of people have when it comes to putting their faith in God. Now this week, we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people struggle with. I don't know how they if they'd word it the way I'm going to word it but I think there's a lot of people who who struggle with thinking that God is obsessed with rules. Rule obsessed God. God is all about the rules. Rules matter more than anything else. And God just wants to give us all these rules and make sure we never have any fun and make sure we only do certain things. And you come to church and it better be boring and it better be quiet and it better be solemn and don't talk during communion and don't let, make, don't let your kids talk during communion. And we have all these rules about what church is and what we think following God should be like and honoring God should be like. Um, I don't know if, you, if any of you know someone or have someone in your, in your life who's obsessed with rules. I'm guessing some of you do. There's just a certain type of person who really loves rules. I'll be honest. Between me and Abby, I am the more likely person to be really, I like things orderly. I like things a certain way. And so I'm the much more likely person to create little rules in our house about, you know, like, even like how to load the dishwasher. I don't know. There's a right and a wrong way to load a dishwasher. I have very clear rules about that. So much so that it has become that I end up being the one who loads the dishwasher because you'll do it. yeah. Oh, I know it, because she'll do it, and then I just redo it. So it doesn't matter. if No matter who helps, I'm going to do it before or after. Um, But I will say this. Even though I'm the more likely person to have rules, there is one area where my sweet, innocent, kind wife is so full on overboard in love with the rules. I mean, there's no wiggle room, There's no grace. There's no mercy. There is nothing but the cold rule of the law, and that is with board games. (laughs) Some of you, you don't play board games with your spouse anymore because it ain't fun. (laughs) There's fewer things that'll ruin a Friday night than trying to play a game with your spouse because it falls apart quickly, and so there is no such thing as improvising You know, what's what's the rule about this? Do you get 200 every time you pass go? I don't know. Let's do it every other time. No, you do it every time because that's what's in the rules. It doesn't matter if you think, man, this game's taking forever. Maybe we can change a few rules to speed this up. No, you don't do that because that's not what's in the rules. Everything is written in stone. The rules of a game are handed down by God himself on a stone and never to be compromised in any way, shape, or form. And we joke about this all the time. We We call her the rule Nazi. It's not the nicest name, but when it comes to games, that's what we tend to call her. And um, it makes it really fun when you have a mom who's a rule Nazi, and you have two boys who think the rules of a game should change and fluctuate to help them win. Like halfway through a game, oh no, I'm gonna go, i get to go two times. Why do you get to go two times? Because I should go two times, because I want to win. That's all it comes down to, right? And so it really can make for some fun times. And but those poor boys and their sweet little looks, they don't change her mind one bit because rules, right? And so a lot of people believe that God cares more about rules than people. God cares more about the rules that he's given us to follow and us following them to the letter than he does actually about the people that he's called us to follow. And that's tricky because the, the idea of God being about rules For a lot of people's minds, when they think of God, that overrides grace, it overrides mercy, it even overrides the name Jesus, it overrides salvation, it overrides heaven. All they think about is that God is all about the rules. God is obsessed with the rules, and oftentimes they think God is just obsessed with the rules for the sake of rules. That for some reason, God's main intention is to see how many hoops he can make us jump through. As if we're just a circus animal and God's just trying to make us do tricks and they don't see the point of all the rules. They don't see how it helps their lives be better. They don't have any connection between the rules and making their life flourish and thrive. And so they think God is just out to make us do these rules that make no sense or maybe they think God's just mean and wants to make sure we have no fun in life. I think there's a lot of people who think that the life of a Christian must be the most boring life in existence because they're picture of a Christian life is you're never allowed to drink. You can't use most of, the, most of the really fun words of the English language. You can't have sex for any reason outside of procreation, and you can't ever watch an R-rated movie unless Jesus dies in it. That's what a lot of people think about being a Christian. They think it's so incredibly boring, there's never a single fun thing, that all we are allowed to do is sit around, judge people, and pray. And so I think it's pretty easy, though, to see why this rule-obsessed God Picture gets built into so many people's minds. And one of the reasons is have you ever read the Bible? There's a whole lot of rules in the Bible. And we can't pretend that there are not rules and guidelines and guardrails that God has put in place uh, throughout history to give His people uh, an understanding to how He wants us to live and how we should live for the thriving of our lives. But far too often, God's followers have misunderstood the point of his guidelines, the point of his rules. We have misused, misunderstood, and sometimes even abused God's rules. So much so that there are a lot of people now that only think of rules when they hear anyone talk about God. So what do we do with all these rules of the Bible? How do we make sense of it all? Because there are a lot of rules. Surely they can't be nothing. There's, a, I mean, a whole lot of rules in the Bible. So what is God's real perspective on the rules? And as Christians, what should be our focus? How do we handle the rules? And how do we handle it when there's people that we're trying to reach for God who really don't follow any of our rules, don't care to follow any of our rules, and sometimes think that we are wrong for having the rules that we have? How do we handle all of that messy stuff? Um, Well, Um, Let's just start where the rules started in Scripture. Um, And the biggest set of rules that we find in the Bible are the laws of Moses. There are 600 plus laws of Moses that you find in the first five books of the Bible. And they were handed down by God to Moses to be the governing rules for the people of Israel. Okay, God had decided that he was going to create a country, a nation of people that were going to kind of be a beacon of his goodness and his light and his the fact that he is different than every other fake god that these other nations in the world worshipped. And so he wanted to give Israel a set of guidelines that would make them different, make them set apart. And I would say that one of the most modern problems for, for Christians when it comes to those laws of Moses is that We have failed to understand the role of those laws of Moses. Um, God's intention was to create a nation, again, a specific set of people, to be holy in that part of the world. Holy means set apart for a purpose. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're perfect or that they're clean or that they do everything right. Holy simply means that you are set apart for a specific God-given purpose. Purpose And God, again, wanted the nation of Israel to be a people that highlighted his goodness and his power to the rest of the world. That's what they were originally supposed to be, a beacon of God's goodness to the world. And I'll just tell you, I don't find any place in the Old Testament where it tells that they came through and succeeded at that. And oftentimes it was because of the rules. And so God gave this special set-apart people a, set of spe- a, a special set-apart land where they could live and thrive, and he gave them this special set of rules that would, gu- that would guide basically every aspect of life. How they were to interact with God, how they were to treat each other, how they were to handle people in the other nations. They co- I mean, it was, sometimes it got so incredibly specific, and so these laws shaped everything how they governed themselves, all the relationships that they had, how they lived life out in their homes every single day. And so Israel had this very in-depth law code that was good. It had its purpose. It had its place. But one thing that we often miss as Christians is that the law of Moses was temporary. Temporary. Um, The law of Moses is a part of what Christians now call the Old Covenant. That was the covenant that God made specifically with the people of Israel, saying, you follow me, and I will bless you. If you do not follow me, things will go poorly for you. And so he gave them these rules, and he gave them a way to interact with him so that they might know him. But the laws, they were meant to be temporary. And pause, before you, someone's going to think, some of you who are Christians and you know a lot of these laws, you're going to say, whoa, what about like the Ten Commandments, okay? Are you saying murder's cool now? Are you saying, thou shalt not steal, like we can just steal whatever we want? Are you saying those rules don't even apply anymore? No, there are certain standards of morality that God has handed down, because God determines what's right and what's wrong. Okay? There are certain things like that that existed before the law of Moses. They got included in the law of Moses, but that they still exist today because they're bigger and they're older. And they, but, but just because it was included in the law of Moses, doesn't mean that it gets that certain laws go away when the law of Moses goes away. So don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. All of those are still things that are obviously wrong. There's a lot of morality in the law of Moses that is still relevant today. But there are certain things like don't boil a lamb in its mother's milk. I don't think we have to worry about that. There are some certain people today who are uh, Jewish people who are living uh, according to these laws of Moses. They have like they divide their kitchen in half so that meat and dairy never touch just in case they add dairy to something with beef just in case the dairy from that gallon of milk came from the mama cow of that roast they're trying to cook or something like like, like they do it like i mean they divide their kitchen in half so certain things like that they those were temporary laws again to make israel a different and set apart group of people but certain moral things were go beyond the law of Moses, are bigger than the law of Moses. But the laws of Israel, 600 plus laws that were a big, big deal, even in Jesus' day were a big, big deal, those were a part of the old covenant. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he finished the old covenant and he brought about what is called the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but they said this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry That is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. He's saying again, the new that Jesus came to bring in is better than the old. It's good that the old covenant was finished up with all the laws and with all the rules. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For as he finds, Faults with them when he says, and then he quotes a big long passage from Jeremiah. So even in the Old Testament, God said this old stuff is temporary. He said, behold, the days are coming, the coming declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the hand, out or by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So it is very important that we as Christians understand that the old covenant that God made with Israel is done. Not that it not that it, you know, Jesus said that doesn't matter. No, he brought it to fruition. He brought it to completion. He ended it so that he could begin something new, something better. And then he died on the cross to bring salvation to each and every human being. Not just one nation, not just one people, not just one geographical location, but God, through Jesus, brings salvation to every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. No matter where we are, everyone can turn their hearts to God and have salvation from their sins. And what you need to notice with this new covenant is that Jesus never came to bring a list of rules. There is no new covenant set of laws like 600 plus, do this, here's every facet of your life planned out every single day. Jesus wasn't after hoop jumping. He wasn't after obedience. He was after our hearts. And you'll notice in, even in that passage of Jeremiah, it says, hey, this new covenant, it's not going to be like the old because the new one's going to be not just uh, written on tablets that you have to read and try to follow. This new law of God, this better way of God is something that is written on your hearts. And so Jesus, he, yes, he came to change our lives, transform our lives, keep us away from things that are sinful, but it was something deeper and transformative that he was going to bring us through, through what he did for us on the cross. And so Jesus wanted to rescue us from our sin, Because the Old Covenant showed that the people were stuck in it. The people of Israel, they never lived up to the laws. Every year, because they couldn't keep the laws of Moses, what they would have to do is they would have to come to the temple and bring some sort of offering for their sin to be killed and and make atonement for their sins, the sins of their family. And, And they had to do this every year on repeat to remind them, you are not doing a very good job of keeping these laws. And Jesus wanted to say, because you can't keep the rules, I will keep them for you. I will live the life of perfection that humans have failed to live over and over again for generation after generation. So that when you put your faith in me, you will have salvation. No longer do you have to come every year to a temple and kill an animal in front of our kids. I can't imagine what that was like, the Day of Atonement. All right. You know how I killed something in front of Jude? He would never forgive me. He would be scarred for life. He would never go to sleep. He wouldn't even go to the bathroom if the lights are in the hallway or off. I mean, if I just like sliced a lamb's throat and he watched it kick itself to death, he would never, ever get over that. He'd be in therapy until he was 40. I, can't, I just can't even fathom what life would be like if we still had to walk through the process of the Old Testament laws. And Jesus wanted to save us from our past sins and transform, not our behaviors with a code of rules, but transform our hearts so that we might be full of God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's justice. And that that godliness might overflow out into how we live our lives. And so when you read how Jesus taught, what you'll notice is Jesus didn't give more laws. In fact, he tended to simplify things. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, says one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, asked Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So that's, he's actually quoting something from the law of Moses, okay? Saying that Jesus didn't come to get rid of everything. Okay? He wasn't trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. He he was coming to make the path to God a little more clear and to remove some of the the and to show it wasn't just about the hoops we jump through. It was about having God God having our heart. And the second is like it. So the guy asked, "What's one commandment?" And Jesus gave him two: "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Meaning, if you can follow these two you're pretty much going to live up to the rest of what God has called you to do. And so Jesus said, if you can do these 2 you're going to live out the rest of it in your heart. And again, I think when you watch Jesus over and over again, he sought to simplify, to move past the rules to get to the heart. Um, In fact, Jesus, as far as I can tell, only gave one new rule to his followers. John chapter 13, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that's not the new part. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, that second commandment that he said a minute ago is to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So, that means your standard of loving other people is how much you care about yourself. Well, that's a limited thing. Some people aren't even very good to themselves, okay? But this goes much higher. He raises the bar. He says, this rule I'm going to give you is I don't want you to love people as you love yourself. I want you to love people as I am going to love you. And Jesus loved us by giving his life on the cross for us at our worst moments. He didn't love us because we loved him. He didn't save us because we deserved saving. He said, boy, you're a mess. Boy, you're wretched. I love you anyway, and I'm going to save you. That means we love people like he loved us, even when they're good to us, even when they're bad to us, even when they're so awful, we would rather just forget they existed, write them off, cuss them out to their face. Jesus says, no, you don't love them as they deserve to be loved. You love them as I have loved you. Again, this is a rule not based on things you have to do, things you got to check off a list. This is a heart issue. Jesus says, I want you to experience my love for you and let that change you from the inside out so that you love people the way I I'm teaching you to love. And so we trust trust Jesus in our salvation. We experience the love that he has for us when he died on the cross, and we show that love to others. That is the essence of what it means to live your life as a Christian. And it's not a million rules. It's a simple dedication of our heart to Christ. Okay, so if New Covenant Christianity is not about the rules, where are people getting this obsession with the rules? Well, From us. Because my opinion is it's often not God who's obsessed with the rules. It's his followers. It's God's people that tend to be so obsessed with the rules. You see, in and of themselves, rules aren't bad. And honestly, there are rules that Christians should follow for our own good. There are a lot of just things mentioned throughout the entirety of scripture that are for my good and your good. Things that you know, when God says, don't do this, it's probably because when you do that, it's going to go bad for you. You look in Genesis, God said, here's, here's the whole garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. Live in it, flourish in it, thrive in it, but don't eat of this one particular tree. He gave him one little old rule. Why? Because he's mean? Because he just wanted to mess with them? Because he he knows that like kids, when you tell your kid don't do that, all they want to do with all their heart is to do that one thing you told them not to do. No, God knows because when they ate that one tree, they would die. Death would be brought into their existence, and they would be changed forever for the worse. There are rules throughout Scripture that are for my good and for your good. So there are absolutely things that we should do to make our lives flourish, ways that we should follow God that will make our lives better. There are rules that are good and they will help our faith and help us grow as a human being. But the rules are not the main focus of the Christian faith. It is about Jesus saving us, though we failed to be good enough to keep the rules. It's about Jesus loving us when we failed to love him. It's about Jesus dying for us, not because we deserved rescue, but simply because he loved us and wanted better for us. And yet, often, what is at the forefront of the message that Christians are putting out into the world is rules, rules, rules. And we have so many rules. Don't run in church. Don't cuss in church. Cuss anywhere else. Totally fine, but in church, nah, you know. Um, Don't let the preacher know that you've ever done anything wrong. Ever, 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 ever. This is a weird one, by the way, because I became a, a minister because somebody hired me. Not a lot changed in my life outside of my job description blank on Facebook when I became a minister. And yet, all of a sudden, people find out you're a minister. They treat you so differently. It just blew my mind. I had no idea that that was a thing until I'd walk outside. You know, we'd have like a, a wedding at the church or something. And I walk out to the front, and like people, there's always a bunch of people smoking out front, and immediately the cigarettes <laughs> disappear. You know? And it's like, I, I know what I saw it. Like, I saw it coming, like, you hit it, I know it's there, like, what does this do? Like, how, this is a sin, this is not. Like, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, like, I don't know, I don't know what's in our minds, but that's kind of the rules that exist, don't let the preacher see or know you're doing anything wrong, okay? And so, um, don't, excuse me, um, don't yell, at your, or don't argue with your spouse in church, in the parking lot, totally cool, Okay? Treat them as bad as you want, as long as the truck doors are still shut, okay? Don't yell at your kids in church. Only thing you can do to your kids in church is this. Like, a couple weeks ago, I don't know, one of our kids started messing with the camera, and Abby was up here singing. And somebody, somebody told me after church, like, I saw him moving that camera, and I saw Abby singing. She just gave him the death <laughs> stare. Like, while she... You know, she can't say anything, she's got a microphone, but it's like, so, you know, there's all these weird rules that we have in, about how we should live, how we should act, we, we, act we, we, we kind of act like we need to treat the building as if every piece of drywall and every screw was, was, was built by God and handed down by angels, and the building is holy in and of itself, so many rules, and then you get out into the rules we're pumping out into our culture, and non-Christians are more likely to associate Christians with some rules Um, that we just scream at them all the time. Things like, don't be gay, don't drink, don't have sex before you're married, don't be a Democrat, that seems to be a pretty common one that people believe. It's always rules, rules, and, and more rules. We proclaim rules until when people hear the word Christian, they no longer think Christ. I mean, we have the word Christ in our name And yet, somehow, we've said so many things about rules that Christ gets lost for all the rules. Because when we encounter people who are gay, we tell them they're breaking a rule. When we see people sleeping together outside of marriage, we tell them they're breaking a rule. When we see someone who commits adultery, you broke another rule. When someone is stuck in addiction, we tell them, you're breaking a rule. Because as the song goes, all of us know this good old Christian hymn, right? And they'll know we are Christians by our rules, by our rules. They'll know we are Christians by our rules. And you might say, Anthony... The rules show us a better, more God honoring way to live. Isn't it loving to tell people about the rules? And yeah, I get that. I do. God does have ways for He wants us to still live. There are things that are right and things that are sinful, things that are good and things that are bad. I'm not saying that those things don't exist. But our number one association, I think, today in our modern age with Christian is rules, rules, rules. Don't do this, don't do this, do this, be like us. And here's the thing that we have to understand. Rules never got anyone into heaven, but Jesus gets people there all the time. The rules never got a single person into heaven, but Jesus gets people there all the time. So what should be our message to the world? Rules or Jesus? There's a time and a place for the rules. I'm not saying there's not. But often, we are far more obsessed with the rules than God is, at least the way that we handle them. And so if you're not a Christian and you've stayed away because you were sick of Christians like us and all of our rules and all the things that we say we hate and all the things we say that we're against and all the ways that we tend to tell the world that they're going to hell, let me just invite you to get past the rules and to get to know Jesus, to experience the love that he has for you, to know his salvation, and to learn the words and his calling in your life. And if you're a Christian, I just want you to think about the message that you're sending out into the world every single day, when you talk to people at work, when you're putting stuff on Facebook, the things that you like and share on Facebook. Minister confession here, like this or don't, there are things that I see people in our church sharing on Facebook all the time that just I just think that hurts the cause of Christ. Hurts the cause of Christ. Because when you say that people who are Democrats are idiots People that are gay are going to hell, when you share posts like that all the time, when you meet somebody who sees that stuff about you on Facebook and they go, I'm a Democrat, they think, oh, you think I'm an idiot. You don't love me. You don't care about me. You, those things you, you share on Facebook create a, a chasm between us and the people that we're trying to reach. And you have every right to share that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I just think we need to be aware of the message that we are putting out into the world. And again, the rules have their place. But our primary message has gotten lost Our primary message has been misplaced and it is that Jesus loves this world and we cannot stand to lose the message clouded with a million rules and a million rants about what the world should be doing or should not be doing. And when our message has always meant to be about Christ, about Jesus first, reflecting on how much he loves us, how much he loves this world and how much he loves those people who aren't like us at all. Because a lot of us in this room, We didn't used to be like us. We used to be different. We used to be cruel. We used to be addicted. We used to be selfish. We used to be greedy. We used to be awful people, some of us. Some of you have dark chapters in your life that you don't want people to know about. We were awful. And the message that got us out of that was not rules, rules, rules. It was Jesus saves you by his grace. And we need to reclaim that message. Again, yeah, the rules have their place in our faith. Rules should be taught and obeyed, but they should not be the frontline message that we have to the world. That message should always be about the loving, saving work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the work of Christ. I pray that we can keep that at the forefront of what we do week in and week out. I pray that it does not get lost as we get caught up in a, a... a changing culture that is a different place, a different landscape than we've ever found ourselves in, as, we, as the world becomes a place that maybe we're not even comfortable in as much as, we've ever, as much as we used to be, and we fear what's happening to the world, to the culture around us, and, and sometimes that leads us to panic and, and to say things that maybe we should not say. And I pray that we would remember that we, we, we've got to be Christians first. You've called us to faith first, that our citizenship is not first in this world, it is first in heaven. And I pray that that would change how we look at the world, how we look at the words that we say, the message that we're putting out and how we treat people and how we post things online. I pray that it would influence how we treat our own family, that we would see that that just acting a certain way for an hour a week in church, that's not what you've called us to. Just just playing by the rules a certain time, that's not what you've called us to. You've called us to be changed from the inside out, to be so radically changed changed by the love of Jesus, that we can't help but let it determine how we live and how we speak. So that it's, we, we, we see the, how wrong it is to treat our spouse with disrespect any time, to treat our kids with disrespect any time, to talk about people like they're morons any time, that, that's wrong any time, to hate people, that's wrong any time. And there's a world out there that are not like us, a world of people who are different than us, who live in a way where they think that we are wrong for believing what we believe, for thinking what we think. That doesn't mean they are our enemy. That means they are our mission field because they need salvation in you, grace through you. And I pray that we would bring the salvation that comes through Jesus back to the forefront of our mission. The rules have their place. They have their time. You've given us so many good rules to guide us for our flourishing and for the betterment of our lives here on earth as we serve you. But those rules, as good as they are, they can't come before Jesus. They can't come before his grace and his mercy, and I pray that we don't let it. Thank you, Father, for the hope you've given us in Christ. May it be something that is fresh and new and life-changing and energy-giving each and every day as we try to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.